Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Hello to anyone who's joining asynchronously by listening to the Temple Beth Am podcast. Today, the title of this class is a misnomer because this class is called Chumash with Rashi, and today it will be Chumash with everyone but Rashi because we're um, entering into a you know, a, not, not that you never find it, but a relatively rare stretch of verses where Rashi either said nothing or if we want to, hi Sue, if we want to um, speak with full uh, humility, maybe he wrote it and it got erased. I mean, we, don't, we, don't, we don't really know, but we, there's no um, extant Rashi on chapter seven of the book of Shemot verses, I think five, six, seven, and eight, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. But on each of those verses, there's at least one medieval commentator, including Rashi's grandson, that has something to say. And so we'll spend, I imagine, much, if not all this class, uh, getting through the shot of those verses, and then also uh, seeing what other commentaries have to say. For each of those commentaries that are not in front of you, I will bring them up on the screen so that people can see them on the Zoom and also in the room. Okay, so uh, where we left off was um, reading... Um, we read the Rashi, uh, we read, read verse four of chapter seven and the Rashi on it. We'll read it again just to give us some momentum. Um, and Larry, did you wanna add anything in terms of translation or leave that alone? Cause you weren't here last week. Did you wanna share in the class what you shared with me? You don't have yeah, to. I think it's actually interesting. You think it's interesting? Yeah. Oh, well, in that case. Well, let, let's read the verse. So chapter seven, verse four. V'lo yishma aleichem paro. Pharaoh will not heed you, will not pay attention to you, will not listen to you. Remember that the root shin mem ayin um, in uh, biblical Hebrew doesn't just mean to hear with an ear, it means to, to heed, right? Um, I will place my hand upon Egypt. Uh, and the question is, is this anthropomorphic? Um, specifically, imagine God with a hand, or uh, is one of the ways of reading Rashi who emphasizes uh, the hand is Rashi saying it's actually the hand or is God simply emphasizing here that it's going to be God doing it directly as opposed to by means of a mediator. But let's say, I will um, extricate my hosts, my armies, my, my, um, my hordes, at my people, the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, with grand chastisements, right? There's no real uh, easy way to translate that phrase something about a judgment and something about something being large. We spent a lot of time looking at several different translations, but we didn't have Kaplan or um, Alters last week, but now we have Larry who has both. So the Kaplan is, this is why Pharaoh will not pay attention to you, but then I will display my power against Egypt and with great acts of judgment, I will bring forth from Egypt my armies, my people, the Israelites. So he puts the judgment earlier into the verse, right? Because he basically re is reading as right? I will place my, which makes some sense. I will, I will um, impose my hand upon Egypt in what way? With grand chastisements. And by doing so, I will take out my armies. And I, this is Kaplan. That's what, Kaplan. What I think Kaplan is suggesting here is that it's almost like the Hotsiti et Sibotai colon. 
I will take out my hosts. Who are my hosts? Who are, who's my army in this, in this case? The children of Israel, all of them. They, they are my forces. Go ahead and then Alter. So Alter has, um, and Pharaoh will, will not heed you. So I think that's a difference between Kaplan, who started off with the, you, you didn't make a big issue of it. This is why Pharaoh will not pay attention to you. Right, that what Kaplan offer, um, offers up there is a, a this is why, right? It doesn't appear in the verse, but that's Kaplan's method. Like he wants to kind of write it as if someone who spoke conventional English right now were writing it and filling in words that were just left out in Hebrew, but the Hebrew didn't require it back then. Go ahead. And I shall set my hand against Egypt and I shall bring out my battalions, my people, the Israelites, from the land of Egypt with great retributions that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, which I, which I, when I stretch out my hand over Egypt and bring out the Israelites from their midst. Right, so what, what um, Larry just read is both verses four and five, which we haven't oh, yet sorry, read. Sorry. It's okay, which we are about to read because um, Alter kind of smushes them together as if the <clears> end <throat> of verse four is actually, it's almost like a comma or a semicolon before verse five rather than a period. So what do you, um, you want to say about that? So Alter has a comment. I shall bring out my battalions, my people, the Israelites. The opposition expresses a, um, a wry and surprising identification. God bears the epithet Lord of battalions or Lord of hosts or Lord of armies or yod heh vav Tzavaot. But here the battalions God calls his own turn out to be the people Israel. Mm -hmm. In fact, a mass, a mass of wretched slaves who will be fleeing from their taskmasters. So it's a, an irony, I guess. Yeah, an irony or a, a transformation, apotheosis, right? That I'm, I'm specifically referring to this ragtag group of people as my, as my finest Marines. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Sue, microphone. Um. Does anybody want to pull up, anyone who's here want to pull up this on their phone and turn it to the person who's speaking so the people on Zoom can have the video in addition to the audio? Thanks, Joel. Um, oh, it's loud. Um, it, it brought to mind Washington, <laughs> just now, <laughs> um, Washington riding in front of the very ragtag group of soldiers that were basically starving and shoeless, um, you know, to mm. um, fight the Revolutionary War. Mm. And it, it made me think that that's exactly what we're talking about here. They had nothing and they were, you know, starving and shoeless in some ways. And it's, um, it's aspirational. They have to convince the, the Bnei Israel to, to stand up, pick themselves up, and consider themselves Tzvaot, you know, Adonai. Yeah. So it's like a charge in some ways. It's very powerful. Um, I'd never thought of this verse this way before Larry introduced me to Alter's reading and then your commentary on it. Um, yeah, um, you and what army, right? Yeah, this is, this is my army. Right, that right now, this is my army, uh, and 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 I stand behind them, right? And I'm and uh, I'm ready to have them confront you. Yeah, interesting. Because the straight the the phrase "out of nights for oh, never makes sense. Like we try to make it make sense. The, the, the God and God's heavenly hosts. It's it's clear here that some of the translations are are, are reinforcing that these faot are not celestial. They're right down here. And who can they be? 
uh, Mr. L. Uh, yes, Diane. So are these verses the, um, the verses that they attempted to explain in the Haggadah with all the mathematical things about God's hand and God's fingers and all that? Is that this is source? I don't remember if this is exact verse because there are several places where God's hand is referred to. Um, <clears throat> gosh, I should remember that. I don't remember if this is the exact verse that's quoted. We could probably find it pretty quickly. No, God, it's the finger that's on Egypt and right. the whole hand is only at the sea. Right, so it's not this verse, right? No, yeah. Um, okay, anything else before we go to verse five? Joel. Right, your mic. Yeah. Oh. What? I'm glad Joel's asking when I read the first. Go back and read Kaplan starting verse yeah. three. So starting with three? Okay. Yeah. I will make Pharaoh obstinate. That's that's I will harden his heart. And will thus have the opportunity to display many miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt. Have the opportunity to, right? It, yeah. This is why Pharaoh will not pay attention to you. Yeah. So I wanted to comment on that. That's like, he'll ignore you. Who are you? It, it, it emphasizes the wryness. Not that they won't heed you, but, but he won't heed. Above, that's what he's getting. Velo yishma. The, Me, the vav in the beginning of verse four. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to some extent, just putting it that way suggests all of what's happened before is that Pharaoh's been saying, who are these flies? Why, why are you bothering me? Moses, why are you asking for these? These, these, these are no ones. Right. I'm not paying, paying, I didn't even know you existed right. until you came. So he says, I will, um, this is why Pharaoh will not pay attention to you, but then I will display my power against Egypt and with great acts of judgment, I will bring forth from, from Egypt, my armies, comma, my people, the Israelites. Right, the, the, the vav means so much and so many different things in Hebrew as we've discussed, right? It can be a vav ha'ipuch, which is not here, because it's only in front of a verb, where it changes, it changes the, the look of a, a verb from a, the meaning of a verb from a future to past or past to future. The vav ha'chibor is just an and, but sometimes a vav is consequential. It's implying a therefore, right? So Alter uh, Kaplan is reading the vav in the beginning of verse Dalit as a therefore, right? It doesn't have to be read that way, but it can, right? Vilo yishma, as a result of that, he will not listen, or it could just be a prediction. This will happen, and then this will happen without implying a causation. I'm just noticing how much um, um, Sweet 16 regalia there is around this table. There's, Pri there's Princeton pride over here, Michigan State. I could have worn my Yukon hat, and then, we, and then you know, I should have, I should have, I should have. Could have worn my Bruin sweatshirt. Uh-huh. I'm actually surprised you tomorrow. And, and we know that Joel Elkin loves Florida Atlantic, and I can't believe that you're not uh, in your Florida Atlantic regalia. Barry, was your hand up? So I, I'm concerned about the juxtaposition of multitude and army. Uh, multitude is completely, it's a disorganized mass of people. Uh, army, uh, you think of some structure and organization. Um, and we see later uh, in, in Kitisa that uh, it's, they're described as a, a, a multitude gone out of control uh, for the golden calf. Um, if, if God knows they're coming out as a, as a, a mixed multitude um, with, with no organization, what, did, what was in God's mind to leave them alone at, at the bottom while Moshe's up there for, for a long time? 
or are they an army? Where, where, where do they suddenly become an organized uh, whole? I don't. Where did that come from? Yeah. Well, right. There, there are many different different descriptions of the Israelites on the way out. Uh, a host, an army, and a mixed multitude, and and also just B'nai Israel. Let's read verse five, and then we'll look at some of the other commentaries. And again, we probably will not get to any Rashi's today. Uh, Alan, do you want to read verse five? Sure. So we're at chapter seven, verse five. Uh, I see one new name on the group of people here. I want to welcome the person. I don't think I recognize the name. David Novoseller. Can you tell us who you are? Do I do I do we know you? Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Hi, uh, Rabbi. Can this I see is your face just to remind myself who you are. Sure. Oh yes. Hi, David. Sorry, Hello. not recognize his last name. Welcome. Okay. Now you can go back to not being seen, but you <laughs> but you can be seen. You don't have to be. One of these days, I'll make it in person. <laughs> okay. Uh, other people have been successful. Um, if you want, Stevie, I'll just text. I'll I'll text you the direct link, and you can text it to her. Um, okay, I just texted you the direct link. All right. Um, go ahead, Alan. Chapter seven, verse five. Okay. Only one potentially hard vocab word here. See what you can do. Okay. And, um, and, and Egypt, uh, Egypt will know that I, Adonai, I would put an I, pu I would put in an M which doesn't exist in Hebrew. Uh, that I am God. Good. Pause right there. It'll be interesting to see how Arya Kaplan translates this. The vav at the beginning of verse five is grammatically a vav haipuch because it's taking the word yadu, which looks like past tense, and making it future tense. But it'll be interesting, and don't give it away. Don't get away yet. If you read this vav as also a consequential, a cause and effect vav, or just a a way of introducing what is a future tense verb. Okay, so they Egypt will know that I am God. What's the root of bintoti? It sounds Japanese, but it's Hebrew. So it's it's either nun. Um, That's What's that? That's Like to give. That would be a taf. This is a tet, right? There's there's nun tet lamed, which is nitilat yadayim. Lameds usually don't drop out of verses, but remember we've discussed that there are often two-letter genuses of verbs that have sub-specialties that are species that are species, right? In the taxonomy, so could be that nun tet uh, three-letter um, uh, roots are all in the same family. But nun tet hey, what would nun tet hey mean? What does no tet mean? Could be to stretch out. It could also be to um, to lean, to tend in a certain in a certain direction, right? So it's so there are several possibilities for how to translate this. And what's the form? So if if the root is nun ted hey, what is? How would you um, take apart and like um, display the the way that the word bintoti is created, Alan? Well, I'd say. Um... It's, it seems like some sort of 
possessive, some say, either I or some sort of possessive that's taking place. So it's the, the, the bet is confusing for me. I don't know if that's with or bintati. It's hard. Yeah. So the, the yud at the ending is definitely possessive. Okay. The bet in the beginning is definitely a preposition. What's in the center of it is probably a gerund. Whatever note is, it's almost, if you could think of like, like to the word kotev, to write, ktiva is the writing, right? Lashir, sing, shira is the singing. So whatever is in the center of bintoti, it's the inging of whatever the verb means. In, in my stretching, in my extending, in my leaning, via my, the leaning of my hand, something like that. So, so choose one of those, Alan, and, and now try to say the whole sentence as a, as a coherent idea. Okay, uh, so that I will stretch forth my hand against uh, Egypt and uh, bring the, uh, the, the children of Israel uh, uh, from them. Okay, but now do it making sense of how the bet of Bintoti connects what's coming to what came beforehand. I think it's what is to be read together. Okay. okay. And and uh, and Egypt will know that that I am God and will be and will be extending my hand. I think I I don't think an and will be. What else could how else could it be rendered? And as I, via my, when I. Look at the uncleus for a second. Vidun Mitzrayim are ana Adonai. Egypt will know that I'm God. Kad, Kad in Aramaic is? When, it's like Kasher. When I, look what he does to Bintoti, Arim. When I lift up, when I, when I, when I raise my hand. At Machat, I forgot what Machat means in Aramaic, but he, he's not translating Yad as an anthropomorphic hand, but something about um, uh, the, my, my strength on Egypt. Okay, I will take out my my the people of Israel from their from from um, from their midst. Okay, so that's some possibilities. Let's let's uh, compare a few. Um, let me pull this up on uh, Sfaria. I want to see how how uh, ever Fox reads it, and then we'll look at some others. This yeah, is 7.5. Yeah, the new JPS has it uh, has it as when as well. But this is the, I, I looked at my Silberman, and it doesn't use it as the when. I think right. the when is a, good, is a good word there. So on the screen is JPS 2006, and the Egyptians shall know that I am Yudhei Vavhei when yeah. I stretch out my hand over Egypt and bring others from the middle. Okay. Um, it's not on the screen. It's not on the screen, Robin. It is on the screen. Oh, Saperstein says. Saperstein. I'm not. I'm not sharing the screen yet. Hold a second. Saperstein says the Egyptians will know that I am Yudhe Vavhe when I stretch out my hand over Egypt and bring the children of Israel out from their midst. Right. Um, and okay. And Saperstein says, and Egypt shall know I am Hashem when I stretch out my hand over Egypt, and I shall take the children of Israel from out from among them. Okay, Everett Fox, and the Egyptians will know that I am, he always renders Yehevafe into the English uh, YHWH. Also, when, when I stretch out my hand 
he puts a note in that we'll look in a second, over Egypt and bring the children of Israel out from their midst, he adds an exclamation point. Uh, this is, um, can everyone see it? Yeah. Um, this is what um, Fox says in the note, when I stretch out my hand in the plague narrative, Moshe and Aaron will do the actual stretching out of hands and the climactic passage. So what he's um, suggesting here is that the hand in this verse is a reference to the hands of Moses and Aaron who will be doing God's work. What, were you raising your, were you raising your hand? Yeah. Were you stretching out your hand over the Egyptians? <laughs> uh, could someone give a microphone to Sue? Um, um, we have all of that stuff coming up in the Seder with um, Yad Chazakav as a road mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we've spent a lot of time in our Seders talking about Yad Chazakav as a road but this sort of um, underpins something that, <laughs> that it's actually in there, that it, it, there is something that's going to be done with that hand yeah. um, that comes up sort of again and again as we go forth. Right, and the question is how anthropomorphic are we comfortable understanding God to be, right? Um, and right, so Edward Fox, who's, who's not, he's not writing as a theologian, he's writing as a translator, but he's trying to also make sense of, of the, the main meaning. And he's saying, when you see hand of God, think of it as the hands of God's messengers that will be used to do the work of God. Koran. And Mitzrayim shall know that I am the Lord also when I stretch out my hand upon Mitzrayim and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And then, Matsuda, I don't, they usually don't have such interesting translations. Also, when, and then there's another interest, this guy I found recently. Toras um, Yishara, I'd never heard of this translation until recently. And the Egyptians will recognize Yodea, right? Interesting how to translate recognize that I am the eternal ruler. That's how he renders Yodea. Also when, when I stretch out, stretch forth my hand, my power against Egypt and bring forth the children of Israel from their midst. Okay, and he, he mentions Rashbam and we're gonna look at the Rashbam directly in a second. There, do you wanna share Aryeh and Ari Kaplan and uh, Robert Alter? I don't think these are on Safari yet. But we can look at the German one. And only they are, and I think these are. Oh, both. look at this. Un, you know, that, that says it all if you think about it. He turns it into a das. I'm just. just all right. Go ahead. So I think they're both interesting because they're both different. So what's different about Altar is we have to go back to verse four. Don't literally go back to verse four, but you all probably have a period separating the verses as being two distinct mm -hmm. verses. And the reason I ran on is because um, Alter doesn't. So Alter says, I'm backing up, um, <clears throat> and I shall set my hand against Egypt, and I shall bring out my battalions, my people, the Israelites, from the land of Egypt with great retributions, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand over Egypt and bring out the Israelites from their midst. So what Alter is mm. doing between verses four and five is similar to what Kaplan did between three and four, suggesting right. a, a so that, right? A, a, a connective cause and effect. And Kaplan okay. does something, something unique that nobody else does. So he starts it off as a sentence. It's, it's, it's distinct, but now he inverts everything. So pay attention because I'm jumping over the first, the first phrase. When I display my power, 
Bintotiri Adi, yeah. Um, and bring the Israelites out from among them, Egypt will know that I am God. Yeah. So it's causal because it, it's when. Yeah. He doesn't say then, but it's clear. That's what will happen as a result. Right. He's just, he's taking the dependent clause at the end and throwing it at the beginning to emphasize it. Yeah. Read it one more time, if you don't mind. When I. Sure. When I display my power and bring the Israelites out from among them. So pause. So he's going very metaphorical on bintoti et yadi, display my power. The word display and power is not there in the Hebrew, but Kaplan's saying, but that's what it means. Okay. Egypt will know that I am God. Hmm. Okay. Good. So we've got seven translations in our minds. Let's hear from Barry and let's read. We'll look at Rashbam. Um, when uh, on the night of the leaving and putting blood on the doorpost and to stay inside, if you're out, you're going, what's coming through? Is it God or it's God's hand that's coming through? Hmm. I think it's referred to as God's hand coming through. And, and uh, th that's, we may say the power, but <laughs> literally it, it's the hand. And, and yeah. Uh, Rick, before Rick speaks, Larry, you said something about that the, that the, Zoom is so. What did you email me about the the audio you wanted Hector? Here, the podcast. Well, we don't hear any distortion now, but on the podcast, the people who were on Zoom can't be heard. Even it's the koshi. It was really wow. everyone. Every single person that spoke from Zoom on the podcast was distorted terribly. But Hector fixed it today. He he said he changed the setting. Okay. So we'll see. I know it's annoying for the Zoomers to talk. Can the Zoomers hear the other Zoomers talking okay? Okay. Okay. Uh, Rick. Hi. Um, and uh, I'm getting a new camera, so sorry about my video, but my audio is okay. I, I just wanted to maybe raise the distinction between Pharaoh and Egypt. Um, so... Um, like starting with verse four, uh, it says Pharaoh isn't going to listen to you, but the hand is going to be on Egypt. It could have said, I'm going to put my hand on Pharaoh. Yeah. The B'mitzrayim, it could have been uh, on uh, Pharaoh. And when we get to verse five, it's so that the, uh, uh, the whole country of Egypt, the people of Egypt will know, but where's Pharaoh? It doesn't say Viadu Pharaoh, Kiani Adonai. So, uh, and then Yadi al Mitzrayim, it's uh, the judgment, the plagues are going to be on the people. Um, what about Pharaoh there? So um, I think, and that, that's going to come later on when the magicians are saying, we can't do this, you know, uh, let them go. And, and Pharaoh doesn't believe what the people believe. So um, I thought I'd bring that up. Thanks, Rick. And even how to understand how the Torah thinks of Mitzrayim. So the, 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 the verb connected to the word Mitzrayim is plural, viyadu Mitzrayim. Now that might be because the word Mitzrayim, not what it means, but the word looks like a plural word, like pants in English, right? Philippines, Philippines right? So, um, but it's not Mitzrim, it's not the Egyptians, it's the place. And the place, on one level, Pharaoh represents the place, but... Um, it seems to be that the Torah is signifying that there's a plurality, that the actual people of Egypt, even though it just mentions Egypt, the place, are going to know this. So 
um, whenever the word Mitzrayim is written, it's an interesting question as to, are we talking about a nation? Are we talking about an entity, a political reality, the human beings who make it up? Or since Pharaoh is Egypt, right? We really use, is really Mitzrayim a, a, a placeholder for Pharaoh? Joanna? Um, so the other thing that strikes me is if I remember correctly, what we had earlier was that we try turned your video off. Not that it matters, but if you want to be seen as you're talking, turn your video back on. Um, not that it really matters, but what we heard, or maybe it does, but what we heard before is that, um, if I remember correctly, in the introduction to all the magic tricks that um, Moses and Aaron were going to do, was that the Mitzrim would know that our God, B'nai Yisrael's God, is B'nai Yisrael's God. Here, there seems to be an implication that they would realize for themselves that our God is God. Hmm. And because of the relationship in this pasuk, it almost adds like another layer to when the redemption will come, like, which seems a bit confusing to me. I mean, maybe I'm not reading correctly, but it's almost as if the pasuk is saying, when Mitzrayim knows that I am God, I will take you out. And it almost therefore reads like Hashem has an ego. You're saying some really interesting things, Joanna. Um, to go to the middle part of what you said, you're suggesting that it, it's, it's, it's timeliney in a different way than we said before, that will only happen once I'm convinced Mitzrayim really accepts me as God. Something like that? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, we should kind of hold that in our thoughts as we're as we go through the next weeks and months asking ourselves over and over and over again for whom are these plagues um for whom are they and to and to whom are they directed and what's the impact they're supposed to have and if you're suggesting that god is suggesting i'm only willing to bring you out to be my people once it's clear to the people that you're leaving that i really am god then there then it has to be both to impress the israelites and also to kind of crush the Egyptians into submission, into recognition that, um, that I am God, uh, that both of those things will have to happen before I bring them out. Interesting. And then it makes those vavs all the more significant as, as to whether or not they're just predicting the future or creating a causation. Stevie, and then we're going to read Rashbam. Just the, the, the two verses are very similar. Um, and right. If, uh, the difference is being, right, the, f the first one has a, uh, verse four has Loish and Paro, right, as a sort of a, what's going to trigger all of this is like an, an earlier phase. And then, um, instead of being Toti and Almitraim, so slight variation in phrase, but same basic thing. The subject is shortened in verse five. Um, but then you have these, uh, but I think this is actually the, 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 the most critical difference is in verse four, um, the hoteti is done bishvatim gedolim, right? Like that, that clause is 
explaining the method seemingly of how uh, I will take them out. And in verse five, it's the, the two closet, the, the two things of stretching my hand and taking them out is how I is, is the method for the Adu Mitzrayim. So it's sort of like, even though the verse is moving forward in terms of we're reading further down the page, because it's the next verse, it's sort of backing up a step about like, I told you how, you know, how I'm going to accomplish, you know, uh, B and C from, you know, from D, but now I'm going to tell you, right, how I'm going to accomplish A using B and C as the methods. Yeah. Um, and your comment, Steve, reminds me that amazing doors open up when you read slow. And sometimes doors that don't need to be opened up, open up when you read slowly, because if we were just kind of reading this as a flow, it, it might just... It, it might just go one into the other, and we'll recognize that it's, it's a two-verse set. But by forcing ourselves to ask ourselves what every word, what every letter means, we we explore possibilities that may not have been intended with with just the way sentences are sometimes written in ancient Hebrew and in modern English. Let's read uh, Rashbam on verse five. Rashi is quiet out of to remind you. Rashbam is Rashi's grandson. Okay, uh, where are you, Rashbam? Okay. So, v'yadu mitzrayim ki ani Adonai, so everyone should be able to see this both uh, on Zoom and, and is it successfully behind me? Yeah. Okay. V'yadu mitzrayim ki ani Adonai, and Egypt will know that I'm God. So here's what Rashbam says. Adon u'moshel, Adon u'moshel. So what, is it, what does it mean that they'll know that I'm God? They'll know that I'm, I'm a Lord, an Adon, right? Um, he might here simply be telling you what he thinks the word Adonai means, or also playing with but we all know how Yudhe is pronounced, right? So it's pronounced Adonai uh, from my Lord. And Rashbam is saying, yeah, they, they will know not just that <laughs> this God's name is Yudhe but this God is indeed a Lord. Umoshel. What does Moshel mean? How is it translated here? Master, right? Uh, Memshalah is a government, right? A ruler. Sha'ada'ata, because up, like, what's the significance, Rashbam says? Because up until now, Amru, they said, and who's the they here? Pharaoh, as you were saying before, I don't know who you are, right? So what Rashbam says is the significance of this verse, and this maybe really adds some color to what Joanna was saying before, is that up until now, you, Moshe and Aaron, have represented a God that the local master says, I don't know who that God is, so why should I be moved by it? And by what I'm about to do, they're going to realize that I am indeed Adonai. Right, and I am in charge, and they will. They might be willing to like say, even though I know that you're in charge, I'm going to fight you. I'm going to buck you. They will at least know that I am who I say. Hey, yeah, Asher, yeah. It's like my yeah, Asher, yeah moment to the Egyptians. Um, it would be interesting to to see. Um, I don't know if we should spend the minutes doing it, but based on how Rashbam is commenting on the verse, which of the translations in English, haha, he would have chosen based on his understanding as to what the significance of this clause means. Barry? So when they came down to Egypt, uh, yod uh, was their personal um, tribal god. And uh, th that was their sense all the years that they were in, in Egypt. Um, God needs to do something now so that the, the Tzvaot will become an army for God. 
to come out. They have to really want to, to do this. Who is this? They have to know this. And the only way that they're going to know it is that their masters, mm. the Egyptians, their rulers, uh -huh. are going to know that this is God. And if, if they know it's God, well, then the Israelites, oh, we, this, this God's really something special. We better do this. Right. But it is answering the question, why is it significant that Egypt knows Hashem, which is different than being willing to submit to Hashem or, or recognize they're being crushed by Hashem? And Rashbam and now Barry are, are, are adding an answer that, it's that, that they need to know to whom they are submitting or to whom they're about to lose. Who's punching them in the face? Diane? So I'm not sure what the significance is of this, but I think that Mitzrayim and Mitzrayim is written the same way. Correct. Is that right? So sometimes, so in English, I'm noticing that they're changing from the Egyptians to Egypt. Because within... within Single translation or yeah no I'm I'm looking at the translation here of verse yeah. five the JPS translation starts and the Egyptians shall know which hold on, hold on one second let's show it with everybody so this is the two thousand which JPS the, 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 the one that Safari is using uh, so it's probably this one um, okay I see so you're saying that in both places in the verse. It's Mitzrayim, but in one place it's translated Egypt and one Egyptian. Right, which probably in Hebrew you'd, you'd say Yadu Hamitzrayim, right? right? Um, but it's interesting because, because it's the same word, whereas we normally sort of distinguish between a country or a place and its people. And at least for Egypt, it's not so clear who we're talking about, what we're talking about. Yeah, it's really an interesting translation choice to have the word appear twice in a verse and to uh, render it diff two different ways. By the way, if you're looking really closely and you're wondering, wait, maybe it's not the same word because the first Mitzrayim has a patach under the resh, the second Mitzrayim has a kamatz. That's because of where it appears in the in the verse. The second Mitzrayim is a, on the etnachta, it's a pausal. It's like how lechem turns to lachem and um, gefen turns to gafen. So Mitzrayim with a patach return to Mitzrayim with a kamat. It's literally the same word. Larry? Can I go in a different direction? Sure. I'm backing up again. I've gone forward and I'm going back. So if you go, if you go back to the beginning, God, God is telling Your finger. God is telling Moses and, and, and Aaron to go speak to Pharaoh, tell them to let the people go, and he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And then it says, I'll multiply my signs. But then in verse 4, it says, when Pharaoh does not heed you, I will lay my hand on, uh, upon Egypt. Right? The, the verse we, we were looking at at the beginning of the, uh, of, the, of the session. And then in verse 5, and Egyptians should know that I am God. And we were a little, I was a little confused by all that. But now I read ahead. And what's the first thing that's going to happen next? Is Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh privately. It's only Pharaoh and the sorcerers. It's not the Egyptian mm. people. Mm. And they, that's when they turn the staff into serpents, and that's when the Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's people do the same thing. Spoiler alert. Sorry. <laughs> God hardens his heart. But the Egyptians haven't seen anything. Mm. It's, only, it's only Pharaoh. Mm. So maybe what we're missing here, or at least I was missing, is it's talking about two separate things, the trying to convince Pharaoh versus trying to convince the people. Mm. Lots of lots of fascinating possibilities. Um, anything else in verse five? It can be. <laughs> <laughs> it can be. 
going once. Okay, uh, <clears throat> let's go to verse six, uh, the second of the Rashi's verses. <clears throat> Whom have we not heard from there? Le Leonard, Rebecca, I don't know if you're both there, but does one of you want to read verse six? We heard you for a second. Hi. Hi, Leonard. Booker Tov. Okay, hold on one second. Vayas, vayas, uh, hold on. Vayas Moshe ve'aharon ka'ashir tziva Adonai otam ken asu. And before we even translates, those of us who have even a rudimentary knowledge of Hebrew can understand why Rashi might be quiet on this verse. It's not going to be a hard verse to make sense of. It's, it's, it'll be challenging to figure out what the question is on this verse, but we've got a couple of commentaries who do so. Okay. So, um, and uh, Mo Moses and Aaron did, although why wouldn't it be Puro? Uh -huh. Okay, that's first question. Okay, anyway, Moses and Aaron did that which God commanded them they did. Good, okay. We've seen this before, by the way, where there's a vayas, or I don't know if it's a vayas, another, it's, a, it's a, a singular verb, and the subject is Moshe and Aaron, right? Everywhere else in this verse, Moshe and Aaron are referred to as a plurality because it's kasher tzivadonai otam, as God had commanded them. And then there's the kain asu, thus they did. But the first verb is introduced as a singular, as if it's almost as if it's saying, it's not saying this. Moses did, and also Aaron. Everything God had commanded them, thus they did. Uh, a bunch of hands, Stevie and then Ilan. If you go back to verse two, they're each given different instructions, Moses and Aaron. So it makes sense that each one did their thing, singular, but then it's <laughs> nice. That's, that's, that's a good recovery, right? It's, it's, so it's almost as if it's saying, you're saying it's Vayas Moshe, Vayas Aharon, Kasher Tzivadonai Otam. Each of them did what they had been jointly told, something like that. Yeah. Nice. Okay, Elon? Yeah, I'm just curious as to why the necessity for Cain Asu. Aha. If there's any non, any content question on the verse, as opposed to the grammatical one, it's the Cain Asu, right? Now, we're going to see Cain Asu's, <coughs> or Vaya Asu Cain, uh, a lot later on in uh, Parshat Vayakel um, Bakude, which we'll get to in 2049, I think, um, where you have lots of, you know, God commanded to do them, and, and they did it, right? But this is, you know, an, an early place where the Torah is explaining. <clears throat> the Torah is explaining what's about to happen and then saying it almost in the past tense, that it did happen. And then the next thing that's going to happen in the Torah is the Torah telling us it on a granular level, right? But it's a really good question. What, what, what's the significance of Cain Asu? Anyone else, uh, anyone want to offer an answer to that question before we look at the commentaries that I have prepared? Larry? <clears throat> It does seem like it's from the Department of Redundancy Department. The Kenyasu? The Kenyasu, yeah. The Kenyasu. Well, first I'm going to just read the translation from Alter because he has an explanation for the singular okay. in Vayas. He says, and Moses and Aaron with him did as the Lord had charged. So he thinks the Yas is referring to Moses, just Aaron's going along for the ride. Okay. Right? Um, well, the, the Kenasu can be simply for emphasis, which is the translation of 
of Kaplan, which is, and Moses and Aaron did this, they did exactly uh, as God had instructed them. Uh, so that's, 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 that's his. Good. Uh, <laughs> Well, maybe this is an introduction to the next installment to the serial. So it hasn't come up yet. It says, and Moses and Aaron did exactly that. Wait till next week to see what they did. Right. So before, you, before we look at Tori Yashara's commentary, um, Moses and Aaron did so just as the Eternal commanded them, so they did. Now, you're right, Elon, you could still ask the question on that answer. But as, as we go first from question to answer, here's, we'll pause on the answer. Unless, lest you might have thought that they might have um, deviated from these instructions, they didn't, right? Um, and why might they have deviated from it? We'll look. We'll see some answers to that in the medieval commentaries. But as a, it, it's his translating it, recognizing that the Kainasu could be read as extraneous. But there's another possibility. Okay, which goes back to what Stevie is talking about, which they each had their role. And if I understand correctly, they're supposed to tell Pharaoh or warn Pharaoh, right? and then do wonders. And that's what happens, I think, for the most part in all the 10 plagues. They go to Pharaoh and they say, so how about now? And the Pharaoh says, what? And he said, well, now we're going to do this. And then they do this. Yeah. So there's two parts to all the plagues, yeah. the telling and the doing. Yeah. Look at Everett Fox. It should be on the screen. Keep, yeah. Uh, Moses and Aaron did it. He adds in an implied direct object because he, he, he believes that the word osed requires a direct object. And it's not in the Hebrew, right? It just says, they, and Moses and Aaron did. Did what? It. Okay. Um, as Yudhei had commanded them, thus they did. This is his now commentary. He does not, Arafat doesn't offer a lot of commentaries, mostly translating, but occasionally he'll offer a commentary. This construction can be broken up in two ways with, for instance, the break at them. So it's either um, a syntactical usage founded, found fairly frequently in biblical. <coughs> The wording recalls the flood net narrative in Genesis with the same emphasis, the hero obeys God without question. So Elon, your question on the answer was, would we have thought that they wouldn't have done what God had asked them to do? And the answer to the question on the answer to your question is, maybe, maybe we didn't know that. Maybe in the beginnings of God's relation with human beings, we weren't sure that they were going to actually listen and do what God asked them to do. And we were being told, yes, they did. Uh, Rick, and then we'll look at uh, some other commentaries on the page. Of the Unclos? <clears throat> yeah. Um, I think there's a mistake in it, uh, a oh, typo. Um, that was fighting it, words. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have cane. It only has K in my Silverman edition here. But I wanted to point out that he has Avad at the beginning. Before the, word, before the word Avadu? Yes. No, it's cane. Oh, in, in my book, it's only K. K what? Kuf Yud? Just, just Kuf just cough with two dots under it. It's okay. Yaton K Avadu. Yeah, that's, I think, just literally a, a typo. I'm writing it in. But it shows you but, how easy it is to make a tiny printing error, even in the modern era, because that's a, that's a modern printer. That's not an Uncleus. Right. It makes it amazing that we still have an extant Uncleus from 2,000 years ago. Okay. Was that what um, you say? So, no, I just wanted to ask about Avadu as opposed to Vayas. Avad is like serve or avodah, um, like that? In, in Aramaic, ayin bet dalid is the Aramaic word for la'asot. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It, it's, 
it's it's delicious because it looks like a Hebrew word and also an Aramaic word to serve to, to be a slave, but it's also a plain Aramaic verb. Ayin bet dal in Aramaic means to do. Yeah. So that, that's not that's not like an interesting translation of Uncle S. That's a plain translation of Uncle S. Okay. Yes, Barry. A, a, a simple approach. This uh, they, they did. They did it. But it, just to be very clear, what did they do? They did what God commanded them. Yeah. So let's see what some of the others say. Let me just find the right screen I'm on. One second. Okay. So where are you? This one? No, this one. I did that one. I can close that one out. Are we on verse five or six? Six. Okay. Okay. So here's Chizkuni on uh, this verse. This is um, one of Larry's favorite commentators. Kenasu. Uh, this is going to be a direct answer, Elon, to your question on the other answer. Af alpi shehochim al nafsham bidabram el paro. Even though they are going, what do you think al nafsham means? What does it mean? What, 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 that's what the word Endanger? endangering their lives. Like even though that to follow God's word here will put them in the presence of a pharaoh who could say off of your heads instantly. They did not uh, hold themselves back from fulfilling their obligations to the Holy One, right? So this is sort of setting up a very high standard, not quite of martyrdom, but almost like near martyrdom, right? And by the way, in modern Jewish practice and in Talmudic Jewish law, we would say that we're not Moshe, we're not Aaron. We do not need to endanger our lives to do God's will. It's the opposite, right? Like, or to... It, if endangering your life is required to do God's will, then in that moment, God's will shifts towards you're not endangering your life unless you have those three yehareg v'ayavor, three mitzvot that you're supposed to give up your life for rather than do. But in general, right, you're, you're, supposed, to, you're supposed to violate Shabbat rather than endanger your life. You're supposed to put out the fire in your house rather than, um, rather than, than, than not do it and, and fulfill Shabbat's laws. Microphone. <laughs> I can't repeat it. I can't repeat it the way you said it, Joel. <laughs> but in a life and death situation like this, then it's not required, but it's expected that you're supposed to your life to do it. I understand the point. You're comparing it to breaking Shabbat. I'm comparing it to a kid drowning in a pool. You're supposed to jump in after them and save them. Right. And here... Israel is in a life and death situation. Got it. So I think what Chizkuni is focusing on is not whether or not the Israelites are the, are the ones drowning in the pool, but whether or not Moshe and Aaron should jump into a stormy, a stormy, a stormy sea because God told them God told them to. And the answer is that even though in this case their lives might be endangered by doing so, they rose to the level of obedience that they're willing to do so. Now, is that admirable? I don't know. Like I would think that. In our ethos, we would say, you know, maybe don't go in front of a ruler who has power over life and death to you and, and do so because you're feeling Jewish pride, right? We might say that's not a, a, a good choice to do, but Chizkuni is, is, uh, is reading it that way and seemingly as praise and making sense of the Kenasu. Yeah. It's interesting because I've never asked the question, why didn't the Pharaoh at any point 
until the very last play, say, I'm going to kill you. Hmm. And he never does, but he does before the last plague, right? He says, I can't remember the Esther Makot, the rap, but you'll die if see my face, you dare. Something like that. Mm -hmm. And that's the only time Pharaoh says that. Mm -hmm. And that brings on the last plague. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. That's great. So that is Pharaoh as Bond villain rather than kill Moses and Aaron. Simply, he's got to have some prolonged thing yeah. and run them through a buzzsaw so that they yeah. can escape. So, I know. I'll, I'll leave the room assuming that as <laughs> after I leave, the water will continue to rise and there's no way they'll ever get out. Um, it's so funny you associate with Bond villain because I associate that with Austin Powers, which I know is a spoof on Bond villain. But for me, it's an Austin Powers thing. We're, ju we're just dating ourselves. That's I know. All. I know. Um, Alan, and then we're going to look at uh, Sforno on this verse. I, I just want to go back for a minute to Ve'ya'as Mosheva Haron. And, you know, with everything else in the plural, that being singular, it seems, and unless you're saying that they're kind of as one, and there's a comment in, here, in the Mikrok Dolot here from Ibn Ezra that says that this is a general statement indicating that all of the plagues were performed by both Aaron and Moses. Later, each plague will be described individually. Mm -hmm. That the single verb is suggesting that Moshe and Aaron are a single unit. Yeah. The, 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 the combined power mm -hmm. of Moshe and Aaron did everything they were asked to do. Yeah. Okay, let's look at um, uh, Sforno on this, which probably will be how we'll end the day. Okay, same question. Uh, simpler answer, you'll let me know if you find it more or less satisfying. He's asking the same question. We're asking what's the significance of Kain Asu, as Elon asked. Kain Asu, lo hosifu, velo garu. They neither added nor subtracted. What do you think Sforno is saying and why is he saying it? Well, what is Sforno adding to our understanding of the verse, if anything? Or, or, or could we say to Sforno, Duh, like, so what? Like, what is Forno adding? Alan, thought? Yeah, I, it's like it's like with the Torah, you don't add from it or detract from it. These are the words. You just do exactly what I tell you to do and don't do anything more and don't do anything less. Right. So, okay, so what's the sermonette there? So what, what is Forno saying that the Torah is saying about Moshe and Aaron that maybe should be an exa example for us using these words, Kinasu? What's the so what? That you, you, you follow... God's words, you follow God's commandments and just do it in that way in terms of what's being told to do, that's what you do. They didn't just generally do it, they, they specifically did it. They didn't extemporize, they didn't use their own judgment. Well, you know, in this moment, God told us to use this word, but we think this word is, is, uh, is, is better called for, right? It's a, he's almost focusing more on the cane than the asu, right? What do they do exactly now? That means that they turn themselves into marionettes, right? They 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 did this without human judgment and discretion, and it seems that Sforno is praising them for it, and maybe that's praiseworthy. I think that in our generation we might say it's the opposite; that it's actually it's through your human discretion and your understanding of 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 the world that you mediate what you think you're hearing from the heavens. If you're, if you're doing exactly what you think you're hearing from the heavens, we might call you a fanatic, 
not a proper proper profit. Rick, you may have the last word, I think. Um, that's nice. Right above that. So, no, no, no. Go back, oh, go back. Hold on. Right above that, Sephorno kind of disagrees with himself because look at the two words. They're diplomatic language. So you may think you're knowing exactly what you're supposed to do, but there's all sorts of different ways to say things. So Moses says it one way with the stutter and stuff, and Aaron says it in more diplomatic language. So um, it, it seems to me like it's not a, it's not one exact way to do it. Just do it like this. There's different ways to do it. And I just thought it was funny that diplomatic language is right there. Yeah. Um, so let me come in. I actually forgot. I wanted to read both of these four notes on the verse. <clears throat> Forget the word diplomatic language, because again, now we're dealing with a modern translator, Sforno, and, and, and let's look at the Hebrew, because Sforno not only answers Elan's question about what Kenasu means, but also going in the direction that I think Stevie went in, which is, what is the significance of, of, of the verse itself um, in terms of understanding um, the story as it's about to unfold? Why do we need, why do we even need to know that they did uh, exactly as God told him, particularly because we're about to be shown that they did that because what the Torah is saying happened is what's about to happen in the story. Remember, we, we just learned that, I think you reminded us, Stevie, that they were each given different instructions, right? Right. Uh, what was the exact phrasing? Moshe yidaber, atat yidaber, yidaber paro, right? So the, the, you're going to say everything I say to you and then Aaron's also going to say it. So Sforno is saying, our verse says exactly the two-part process that was described before in each one of the uh, words, or maybe even plagues, that's about to come instructions. They did exactly as we learned in verse 2. Shaya Moshem kodem, the first Moses would speak, barach, as the primary representative of the divine being. So I don't like Eliyahu Monk's translation of the word metargame here, pun intended, because the word metargame means to translate. He says, turning into diplomatic language. I think what Sforno is saying is that Aaron would do exactly what he was commanded to do in verse two, which is to translate Moshe's non-fluid, but still representing God's, uh, God's presence opening and turning it into <coughs> language that Pharaoh could understand. I don't think it's necessarily diplomatic language, it's just clearer language, okay? Um, so Sforno uh, has his own way of explaining both parts of that verse. Uh, that brings us to 929. So we'll end here. Uh, we still have two more verses of non-Rashi, and we'll, uh, that spans the end of the third of the year, beginning of the fourth. Someone else want to say something? Joel. Ten seconds. Ten seconds. Kasher uh, translates as as, and just like in English, it's ambiguous. As meaning in the method of, or as meaning at the exact time as. Yeah. And kasher in Hebrew can also mean when, which gives you more of a temporal sense of it. Yeah. Good. Um, have a good week, everybody. Kol tuv. Go, go Yukon Huskies. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.